my friends. Welcome to episode eight of the Project Stay Alive podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and today I am so excited for you to meet my friend, Joy. Joy is a full-time career woman by day, but a mental health advocate at heart. She is a wife, a mother of three cats, and an avid Friends fan. She's also a sexual abuse and child trauma survivor who chooses to use her struggles with mental illness to help others. I am so excited for you to meet my friend Joy today on the episode and just want to give a few trigger warnings for anyone who's listening. We do talk about sexual assault, childhood trauma, and suicidality. We don't talk about any methodology or ways to harm, but if those topics are in any way triggering to you, please know that we do talk about them. Please also know that if you make it all the way through the podcast to the end, we get a little goofy and a little silly. We end up talking about makeup and Halloween, and I think it's just because I want Joy to be my new best friend. Make it all the way through, though, because she has the most incredible closing question answers for you. As always, thanks for listening, and I can't wait for you to meet Joy. Joy, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you. And I would just love if you would start by telling everyone a little bit about your mental health story. Um, well, whenever people ask me, when did you first notice your struggle with mental health? Uh, if I look back, I don't remember a time that I didn't struggle with it, but I don't think I realized I was struggling until I was an adult. Um, there was just a lot of stigma behind mental health and getting help for it, um, especially in the environment I grew up in. Um, so I would say I've, I've struggled with it my whole life. Yeah. Sure. Was there, how old were you when you started accessing services? Um, I was, it was not until I was probably 23 or four, I'm 30 now, but, um, I, I had some friends here and there, you know, throughout college, but I didn't actually get professional um, help from uh, a mental health professional until I was about 23 or 24. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because for me, 23 or 24 seems like, like older to get support, but only, only because my story started so much younger. But I think most people, like, if they ever access support, it's not till much farther in life yeah unfortunately it is a case and um, like I mentioned the environment I grew up in it it was it was looked down upon and it wasn't available to me Um, but yeah I've heard of I actually have friends that have um, that's been much later in life where I hear about my friends parents who didn't get help for abuse that happened to them when they were children until they were in their 50s or 60s Um, and it's sad that that's the case that you know people wait that long or think they have to wait that long but um unfortunately that that is a reality with a lot of people yeah Yeah. well and we just kind of learn to normalize our our living spaces our environments our relationships absolutely absolutely i i didn't know that you know what i was growing up in wasn't normal until later on in life you know i'd always thought that abuse was just part of a family or you know if if i was um in a situation where someone was taking advantage of me, that was just normal. Um, and that every relationship was that way. And it, it wasn't until, 
you know, I started making those decisions on my own or just actually seeing examples of healthy families and relationships that I didn't, I didn't realize until then that it was, it was wrong, you know? So I guess a lot of that kept me from talking about it just because I felt like it was something everybody dealt with and it was normal for everyone. And I should just, you know, um, kind of be quote unquote strong about it, which I know now that that's not what that means, but um, I just always thought it was part of my life and nothing more. Yeah. So at 23 or 24, was there like a breaking point or was there an event that kind of led to you saying, okay, I, this isn't, this isn't okay. And I do need some help. Yeah. Um, definitely. I would say it was a situation where, um, it, it was actually a, a situation between me and my husband. Um, we were just goofing around in the kitchen, and uh, I was making dinner and um, something that we, you know, do as a couple just for fun. We were slapping each other's butts, whatever. And um, I, it had never bothered me before. This was the thing that we had done to each other. You know, it wasn't a disrespect type thing. And one random day I was cooking dinner and he came up behind me and just popped me on the behind. And what I would have normally done was laughed and popped him back. But this time I don't, I, I think I just had a flashback or, and I was triggered by that behavior and I ended up turning around and screaming at him. And, um, I started shouting and screaming and, got really up close to his face, told me that, told him never to touch me ever again. You know, it, it was just very um, aggressive behavior that was coming out of me, and it scared him because he had never seen that side of me before where I was just, you know, physically ready to attack. And um, he, you know, tried to get me to calm down and asked me if I was okay, and I just told him I needed him to leave me alone. And later that evening... Um, he came to check on me and I was crying and he asked me if I was okay. And I told him, I told him I was fine. You know, I told him that there was nothing wrong and, um, he didn't need to worry about anything. Um, but it really caused a strain in our relationship because it was getting to the point where any type of physical contact would spiral into that really aggressive kind of a, I didn't even recognize myself. It was just to this point where I was so angry and aggressive that, you know, the most contact he could have with me was kind of just like waving at me. And that's really sad, but, um, that went on for about a month. Um, anytime he tried to hug me, you know, I'd pull away. Um, all intimacy was just off the books completely. And, uh, he sat me down one night and he just said, you know, um, I don't ever want you to feel like you're pressured to have any type of physical contact with me, whether it's sexual or whether it's not. But, you know, I, I do feel like you're not just distancing yourself from me physically, but there's something between us emotionally. And I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I've said something or done something. I know you keep telling me that's nothing I've done, but I, I don't, I don't know where this is coming from and it, it really hurts me to see you hurting like this. And if it's okay with you, I think it would be great if we saw a therapist and I got really angry at him. I told him I was fine and 
Um, I told him I didn't need any help. And he just said, well, think about it. You know, I really miss you. I miss spending time with you. And, you know, I think this would be a good thing. Um, and I had briefly told him before that there was some abuse in my home growing up. Um, I'd also told him there was some sexual abuse that had happened, but I didn't ever tell him to what extent um, that that had happened, you know, in my life. And we initially went to the counselor for marriage counseling. Um, and um, once I got to talking to our counselor, um, he started asking me a series of questions and just kind of wanted to get a feel for where we were at together. And the more questions he asked, he noticed that it wasn't really a problem between the two of us, per se. Um, he was noticing it was something much deeper than that. And so he started to ask me questions about my childhood, um, if I'd ever come into any contact with physical abuse. And I told him, yeah, my dad was abusive. And then he said, well, you know, um, I'd like to know if there was ever any type of sexual abuse that happened to you. And, um, you know, we can talk about it with your husband here. If you want to talk about it in private, that's fine. I really think you should be in the same room together just so you both understand what's going on, obviously in your own time. But I think I think there might be something deeper than just what's going on between the two of you. And the floodworks just like my eyes. It was like somebody started chopping onions. I started crying and bawling my eyes out. And I had never really sat down and faced this trauma. Like I had never sat down and said, this was bad. Um, and what happened to me was not okay. I had never worked through any of this. So the only feeling that I had was anger. Um, I didn't know where it was coming from. I didn't know why I thought I had long forgotten about this stuff, but you know, with any type of trauma, it has its way of revisiting you. If you don't, if you don't, you know, take care of it. So I would say that was when I first realized that I needed to get help and that um, it was going to be a process for me to work through a lot of the stuff that had happened. Yeah, so thank you so much for sharing, um, yeah. first of all. But second of all, I'm just thinking about your like young 24 self, right? And were you probably newly married at this point? Um, we had been married for about three years, I think. Um, and so that's why I was so surprised that any of this was coming out of me mm -hmm. because like I said, I mean, we were fine with everything else before. And then all of a sudden it just came up out of the blue and, um, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know where it was coming from. You know, there was a lot of things that I didn't even remember that just started flooding through my mind. Um, and the more I go to therapy, my uh, therapist has really helped me through a lot of this stuff. But um, she's told me that anytime somebody experiences trauma, especially as a young age, a lot of times your body's defense mechanism is to forget things. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean it's not there. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means that your brain has experienced a heavy weight of trauma that it doesn't know how to process. And so the only thing it knows how to do is just basically put it to a side of your brain that says, this is not important. 
we're not going to think about this. We're not going to remember this. We don't want to know about this Mm -hmm. until something happens to kind of trigger that memory. And then it comes out. Sometimes that comes out in pieces. And um, to anybody listening who's had sexual abuse happen to them, you know, in their life before, it's why a lot of times you'll, it's hard when you come out with your story because maybe you didn't remember that until you were, you know, in your 20s, maybe in your 30s even. And when you finally come out and share it, sometimes you get negative reactions. But um, truthfully, that, that is why you often don't remember is because it's the way your brain's made. And, you know, for me, it was definitely that way. So to anybody listening who's, you know, thinking about sharing this story, I know this is kind of like off the topic of this question, but to anybody who's thinking about sharing their story and you're like, I've never told anybody before, will they believe me? Um, It's definitely, it, it definitely happens to, you know, anyone who has experienced that trauma. So it's totally normal if you're kind of pulling those fragments together as you get older. Yeah, and you know what's just adds to that is when you forget and something kind of calls it back up, you you can't, it's not like you just remember the whole thing, right? So you kind no. of like have bits and pieces and then you start yeah. to think like, am I crazy? Did I make this up? Am I attention seeking? All of these things that we've been yeah. socialized to believe because we read it in the oh. news every day, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, oh. So it sounds to me like here you are, this young, you're you're 24, I mean, you're still newly-ish married, and all of a sudden the third third person in your relationship is your PTSD, right? Yeah. What a terrifying place to be. Yeah, for sure. So where did you go from there? I mean, what, what kinds of things, and... And like you just said, I mean, you're still kind of probably doing some of this work, even though you've tackled a large part of it. But what kinds of things did you find that were helpful in kind of helping helping create recovery? Um, well, I think healing is never linear. Um, it's probably the best thing someone's ever told me is that it's not a straight line. It's this like almost like a. What you know? What is it called? Those things are there. Your heart beats and it goes up and down. Mm, mm-hmm. Is it a sonogram? I, I don't know. I'm not a nurse. I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't come at me. I just think of like a wave. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's probably a better way of explaining it. Um, but healing is never a, a, just a direct line. And a lot of times it's a, a spiral, and you go back into this wave motion, and then you're kind of good for a while, and then there's a valley, and then it, it's never the same. And so when I first went to counseling, um, one of the first things that we did was to tackle the sexual abuse portion, just because that had played such a big role in the issues I was having in my marriage, whether it was the way I was treating other people, because honestly, if one part of your life is affected and what's basically happened to you is somebody has dumped their poison into your life. You know, here you are, this person um, that did not ask for this, because I know none of you did. Nobody asks for this stuff. Nobody asks to be raped or molested or physically abused or put in a domestic violence situation or what have you. Nobody asks for this. There's nobody in their right mind, or anybody for that matter, 
who one day wakes up as a five-year-old child and writes down their little scrapbook and dream board and says, I hope one day I will have these horrible things happen to me. Nobody, nobody thinks that way. When you're innocent and you're a child, you think about, you know, becoming this, I don't know, maybe a firefighter or um, traveling the world or even becoming a princess. And for me, actually, I wanted to be a bear, but that never came true. Um, so sad. You can still do that. <laughs> I think I can. I really think I can. But whatever you dream of, it's never this horrific situation. And so when you're thrown into that, it's like, this is now like consumed my life. You know, so nobody ever asked for that to happen to them. So when you're dealing with it, it's like, you know, it, it's this kind of like an up and down thing where you're kind of like dealing with it at one point and then maybe there's things that you don't remember for a while and then they pop up again and you're like oh I got a new thing I got to deal with now so for me the first things we tackled was the sexual abuse um we went through several weeks actually it was a couple months of exercises and kind of pinpointing those things that were triggering me whether it was a physical thing or something that person might have said Whatever it might have been, um, we went through various exercises, a lot of meditation, um, and just kind of tackled that head on. There were times that I couldn't revisit memories because they were just way too painful. And so we had to back off of certain ones, and, and that was totally fine. Um, but one of the exercises my therapist made me do, um, or actually it was, a, it was a counselor. He wasn't a licensed therapist, but he was a counselor. Uh, one of the... Uh, exercises my counselor made me do was to write a letter to this person that had abused me and the reason behind it was that I knew I didn't want to hold on to the anger that I had um, toward my sexual abuser because it was manifesting itself out in a way that was you know very detrimental to my relationships you know whether it was with my husband or my friends um you know, the anger that I had toward this person was coming out towards the people I love the most. Um, I pushed people away, you know. I said things I shouldn't have said or I, I said things to hurt other people because these were all the things I wanted to say to this person. And kind of understanding why I was feeling the way I did really helped me to move forward. So I started writing a letter to her and I just wrote down the way this person made me feel and, you know, how they affected me as a child and how they affected me as an adult and even the ugly parts um, of even saying I hate you, you know, things like that just had to come out. And so I kept writing until I felt like what I needed to be said was enough. Um, it didn't happen overnight. There were some days I could write a sentence. There were some days I wrote a whole paragraph. There were some days that I, I looked at my laptop and share the words I wrote the night before and just started sobbing and had to close it and couldn't look at it anymore. Um, it was definitely a process, but when I was finally done saying everything I wanted to say, I knew I didn't want to hold on to it anymore. And so I forgave this person. Um, I'll probably never see them again. I haven't seen them since I was 15, but being able to forgive, um, and I tell people this all the time, like forgiving is not saying whatever happened was okay. It's not even saying that you would, you would let that person back into your life. Cause that's not safe. You know, if this person say they live down the street from me, I would, I would never go to their house. You know, it's not safe. 
you know, I would never let another child go to their house. You know, there's boundaries and guidelines that you want to keep to protect yourself and the people you love. But at the same time, when you forgive or you just say, you know what, I don't want to hold on to this, this anger anymore, it kind of sets you free. Because even though you recognize that they did wrong, and this might be, this might sound really strange, but for me, once I forgave this person, I was actually able to see how awful of a situation they had put me in. Like, you would think it'd be the opposite. You would think that, oh, you forgave that person, you don't think about it again. You let them off the hook. Um, you know, basically what you're saying is what they did wasn't that bad of a situation. No, it actually helped me realize how awful it was. And when I forgave, it was like, okay, this person did something so horrible. I don't ever want to become even an inch close to whatever that situation was. Cause this person that abused me was also a very angry person. And, you know, when I forgave, I was like, you know, I don't want to ever be anything like this person. So it set me free in so many ways. Um, it allowed me to love my husband more. It allowed me to build healthier relationships with friends. Um, so it was, it was definitely a healing part of my life. Um, it does still hurt. There are some times that I do wake up in the middle of the night and I think this person's in my room. Say it's like a very stressful week or, you know, um, there's a lot going on or whatever, or maybe I didn't get good sleep the night before and I wake up with a nightmare. I do, I do have dreams about this person every now and then, but I can go on a day-to-day basis and even share my story without going into this full rage of not being able to control my anger or, um, you know, shouting at other people. Um, you know, it's, it's been able, the, the therapy counseling rather that I received was able to bring me to a healthy place. Um, at least when it came to that. Yeah. I'm just thinking of that, that kind of feeling of freedom. And I'm, I'm so like, I'm filled with happiness for you that that's something that you get to experience because I think a lot of people who, you know, and I don't know, I don't know the story, right. But I think a lot of people who have experienced trauma in one form or another struggle to get to that place of, or being willing to acknowledge, let alone forgive. Yeah. And honestly, like, I know sometimes people have a hard time with that word and that's totally fine. You know, this, like I said, the word forgiveness or letting go or whatever term you choose to use, you know, it's not saying that what that person did was okay. It's, it's not giving them a free pass. It's not saying that you hope you could become best friends and you want to send them a Christmas card. That's not what that means. You know, what they did to you is wrong. They took something from you, and unfortunately, a lot of times, even though that may have happened years ago, they continue to take from you, whether it's your trust, um, your ability to fully, you know, feel free and happy and almost walk in that sense of innocence that they took from you. It might be impossible to be back there again, but it doesn't mean that they have the right to control your life and consume all of the good things in your life, um, whether it's your friends or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your family, um, they don't have the right to take 
the people that love you away from you. Um, so if you're walking through that process of healing or forgiving or letting go or whatever you're choosing to do, just, you know, keep that at the forefront of your mind. You deserve to be loved. You deserve to be in a place where you feel safe. And the reason why you go to therapy, the reason why, you know, you go to counseling for any type of abuse like this is so that way you can get your freedom back and take back everything they took from you. Absolutely. So I heard you say several things that worked really well for you in this process. I heard you say you practiced a lot of mindfulness. You, um, you were writing letter, a letter or letters to this person. Um, you had to confront all, all of your kind of triggers in your relationship. So you did a lot of work that, that was beneficial, but were there things in that period of time or still now that counselors or therapists or providers have tried with you that haven't been helpful, um, especially for, you know, any listeners who might be doing this work right now? So I wouldn't say so much as far as the sexual abuse is concerned. Um, it was more of when I had to deal with my family. Um, so unfortunately, I don't have a relationship with either one of my parents anymore. Um, this is something that's happened in the last two and a half years. Um, it was a long time coming. It was a lot of work trying to make this relationship become something that it was frankly, was never there. Um, and that was difficult. It was, it was very hard. Um, and to be honest, that's, that as crazy as it sounds, that probably hurt a lot worse than having to write the letter to my sexual abuser or go through that therapy there. Um, one of the main reasons being that my mom actually knew that I was being sexually abused. Um, and there were so many other instances that happened. Um, but once the relationship ended, I went into a full downward spiral depression. Um, it took over every part of my life. Um, I shut myself out from all of my friends. Um, it did affect my marriage. Um, you know, a lot of the sexual abuse trauma did come back. It was like everything that I'd worked so hard to, you know, push through was kind of there and then a hundred times more. And it really felt impossible to get through. Um, Some of the worst things that were kind of advised to me were um, from well-meaning people. But um, a lot of times it was just, it was pure. And I, I, I don't mean this to be mean or rude. It was just pure ignorance. Um, things like, well, maybe if you go for a walk, you'll feel better. Or <laughs> yeah, because that's or, gonna yeah, do a yeah, lot. Yeah, that's gonna make me so yeah. happy. You know, go for a walk, you'll feel better. Or you know, try um, I don't know, try this diet. You know, um, eat healthy. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty sure depression is not cured with a salad, but we will see how this goes. Yeah, just one more um, avocado. <laughs> Yeah, um, but I don't know. It, it, there was just so much that was thrown at me. Um, I did try a couple of medications before I came to one that actually worked. So that was 
also a trial and error thing. Um, I did try medication that I reacted to very badly, which actually made my behavior much, much worse um, as far as depression and suicidal thoughts goes. Um, I had a situation one time where I had a full-blown panic attack in front of someone and um this person tried to pray away the anxiety oh no um it was it, it didn't work no um and i am i am somebody that does actively practice faith mm-hmm. um i am a christian but that was not the way to handle it right. uh, <laughs> it was kind of like a, i don't know what to do so let me just kind of uh, religiously kind of slap a bandaid on you and see how this goes type right. situation um, you know, I've had people that just constantly uh, blow up my phone with articles on what to do, um, which <laughs> I appreciate that. But, you know, there were times that I, I just needed somebody to be there. And, um, you know, there were so many people trying to fix me. And um, that definitely was, was not a help. Um, you know, I've, I've tried a couple other things, too, as well, whether it was... Um, you know, the healthy eating, diet, exercise, and that does contribute to your overall well-being. It does, but, you know, it doesn't cure you. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've had a couple things that I've thought, like, uh, not so much. You know, I've had um, a few people advise to me to do certain things. Um, I had somebody advise to me to do hypnotherapy, which um, I know it does work for some people. I was a little bit scared to do it, so I haven't tried it yet. Um, will it work for me? I don't know. I'd, I'd be willing to give it a shot, but um, I would say so far the things that have worked, though, is not just one specific thing. It's a combination of pretty much everything. Um, I talked to a doctor once that was telling me about, you know, kind of starting on this path. It was actually when I was admitted to the hospital for um, suicidal behavior. Um and I was talking to this doctor, and she just said to me, you know, there's so many things that you can do for your mental health, um, but you're not going to be able to move forward with just one of those things. It's like sitting in a chair. Um, you have to have all of those legs functioning and working for you to be stable. And so, you know, if you're just going to therapy, that's great. Um, but since, you know, you're working through complex traumas, you may need to be on medication. You know, you may need to be in a support group. Um, You will need to open up to your loved ones and let them know when you need help and ask for help. You know, there's there's so many avenues to kind of tackle the situation, but it's not just going to be one thing that's going to say cure, cure, (laughs) cure the situation. Totally. Have you heard of um, skill stacking? No. What is that? Oh man, it's just this like funky clinical term for basically like. You want to stack your skills. So, like, once you get the hang of one skill, add another skill and then add a third skill and vice versa, right? So, like, you go to counseling, that's a skill. You take your meds, that's a skill. You eat healthy, that's a skill. You practice, like, forcing yourself to go out when you don't want to, that's a skill. And, like, none of those things in isolation will help. But when you throw them all together, it's like, you know, the wellness, like, like potion or something. Yeah. Oh, that's a really cool way to look at it. Yeah. Um, one question I had based on your um, comment earlier about medication, because I think most people end up doing like a trial and error, like you said, 
Um, did you or have you ever, um, has it been offered to you or have you considered taking a genetic test to see what medication um, will be most beneficial based on your genetic makeup? Um, funny you should ask that. So I was actually recently diagnosed with PCOS, um, and a lot of the things that I'm struggling with, um, whether it's like extremely high cortisol levels, um, hormonal imbalances, things like that, um, was contributing to making the PCOS worse. Mm -hmm. Um, and then kind of feeding back into my struggle with depression, um, so my doctor actually recently did a blood test on me. Um, I don't get the results back until next month, but I believe one of those tests was a genetic test. Yeah. Okay, great. I, um, I haven't done it because with my insurance, it was like a couple of hundred dollars. And at that time that I was offered it, that just wasn't something I was interested in. But, um, for anyone listening, I know there are programs out there where if you've tried like several medications and you can't find the one that works, um, it could just be a simple solution like getting your genetic testing done and seeing what medication will be best for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so I could talk to you about all of this stuff all day, but I really want to focus on um, your experience with hospitalization because as someone who has also um, been hospitalized, it seems to be the thing that people, I think, shy away from talking about the most. Like, they're willing to talk about the fact that they go to, you know, therapy once a week or even, like, an intensive out, outpatient program a few days a week. But, like, hospitalization is just, like, a topic that seems to be really hard to discuss. So would you be willing to kind of talk about your experience with that? Yeah, of course, of course. And I think a lot of times one of the reasons why people shy away from it is there's this stigma of what hospitalization looks like. Um, I think the first place people's minds go to is like horror movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, or even like the, um, I don't know if you've seen the uh, Billie Eilish, um, was it music video? Oh, which one is that? Is it Bury a Friend? Mm. I think that's what it is. Where she's like sitting in a chair and like, She's got all these syringes in her back, mm-hmm. and, like, she looks like she's sick, and um, she's got, like, I, I don't know if it's that video or another one where she's got, like, stuff coming out of her eyes. I think people's idea of a psychiatric facility is exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, they think that, you know, it's, um, like, the Joker and Harley Quinn situation um, or something that comes out of a horror film from the 1930s, um, and it's not. It really isn't. Um, whenever you're going into hospitalization, obviously there are going to be things that might be more severe. Um, if it is more severe and you're a threat to other people, they may need to keep you in a room by yourself. Of course, you're constantly monitored. You're not left there for days. Um, somebody is always coming and checking on you, and it usually has a glass window where you can see out of. Um so there are some times where that ex- that's an extreme case that might have to happen. But a lot of times when you're being hos- hospitalized, um, you're basically in um, a hospital room or like a hospital common area. Um, there's nurses on staff walking around. They've got their charts, you know. Um, there's uh, security on staff just in case somebody does try to hurt somebody. Um, or seems like they, you know, might need help, um, going to the bathroom or, or whatever. 
Um, but it's, it's not a jail cell, you know, it's, it's not prison time. It's, it's, it's nothing like that at all. Um, was it scary? Um, yeah, actually it was. Um, because when I went, I went because I knew I needed to go. It wasn't that somebody had called 911 on me, you know, um, my husband and I had a conversation. He felt that I should go. I agreed. He drove me there. And so, of course, I had never met anybody that had openly told me they had been hospitalized before. So all of my um, ideas of what a, you know, mental health ward would look like were all of the um, scenes from horror movies. So when I got there, I just assumed that they were going to take my vitals and send me home. And so when they told me they were going to keep me there, uh, I was pretty scared, you know. Um, but once I got into the actual unit that they have this psychiatric facility in, it just looked like a regular hospital wing. Um, they had some books lying around. They had some recliner couches if you wanted to rest. They had some beds. Um, you know, obviously everything has to be monitored, so... Um, you're not, you're never left in a room alone by yourself. Um, there's always someone there. You're allowed to go to the bathroom. You're allowed to get a drink of water. If you're hungry, they'll bring you food. Um, they take very good care of you. And those nurses are highly skilled and trained in what they're doing. Um, you know, and, uh, most of them are there because they genuinely have a compassion towards anyone who's struggling with their mental health or they've been there themselves. Um, I actually met one of the nurses while I was there who was telling me that he had, um, he had experienced an attempt of suicide in the past. And that's what led him to want to become a trauma nurse. Mm -hmm. And that's why he was there. Um, so in most cases, the people that are there to help you and to serve you there at the hospital, they're not there because they're there to point fingers at you or judge you. Most nine times out of 10, they've been in the exact same situation. Yeah. And so they're very understanding, very compassionate people. Um, and everything is confidential. You actually have to sign papers before you go in there. And as a trauma nurse or even somebody working security in there, anything that happens in that room they are not allowed to disclose outside. So it's not like your neighbor's going to find out if you don't want them to know. Your coworkers are not going to find out. They're not going to call your workplace and, you know, tell everybody what happened. They keep all this stuff private. So they're there to protect you. Um, and they're 100% there to make sure that you're cared for and you're getting the best care possible for what you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have explained it better. Um, have you ever, just side note though, have, cause I have thought about this a lot. Have you ever thought like, what if I had been having my experience like 60 years prior, what would it have been like then? Like I have oh spent gosh. hours yeah. thinking about that and feeling so much sadness for like yeah. people like me who lived back then. Oh man, that, that, that really breaks my heart. And I think that might be why some of the older nurses in the, the trauma wing or the psychiatric wing might be so compassionate because maybe they didn't get the level of care that they needed. Yeah. Um, and they wanted to change that. And I, I really think that's why they're so good at what they do. 
but yeah, 60, 50, 60 years ago, there wasn't such a thing. I mean, look at the soldiers that came back from Vietnam. A lot of them had PTSD. Many of them came home with nightmares or would be screaming in the middle of the night or would have triggers and start shouting at people. And they were just labeled as crazy, mm-hmm. you know, and um, they were either told they weren't a fit for society and they became homeless um, or they decided to self-medicate because there wasn't anything else available, um, which is why it's very sad. But it's just like a lot of them um, have become alcoholics or have even you know, taken their own life because there wasn't the resources that they needed. Mm-hmm. And I think we do have a long way to go. Uh, I mean, it's 2019. We've, we have so many resources available to us, and I think we do have a long way to go. But I'm just so thankful that I live in the year that I live yeah. instead of, you know, 50, 60 years ago. So prior to your hospitalization, um, so it sounds like did you go and were you admitted because of suicidality? Yes, definitely. That was that was the reason. So can you tell me a little bit about what was going on prior to um, your hospitalization and then what kind of state of mind you left in as compared? So um, it was basically a snowball, a downhill snowball <laughs> that just got so unmanageable. Um a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was just not ready to face a lot of things. Um, when the relationship ended with my parents, it kind of ended abruptly. Um, so it was almost like dealing with a death. Um, it was grieving. Um, and it was both my parents. So I don't have a relationship with either. Um, like I said before, it was a long time coming. Um, but it, it hurt. And to me, I had never fully understood why I was hurting so much as an adult when much of this stuff happened to me when I was a kid. And so I don't think I was letting myself grieve. I wasn't letting myself feel the pain. I wasn't letting myself be sad. And so after holding all this in and trying to be so put together for so long, it just kind of crashed and burned. Um, um, in the midst of all of that, um, I had moved from Delaware to Florida. I'd been in Delaware for a little bit, had a really solid friend group. Um, uh, my mentor had really helped me through so much stuff. And um, we had to up and leave because of the military. And so we came down to Florida, and I didn't know a lot of people. Um, so I felt isolated more than I was. Um I work from I work from a remote office now where there are actually people around me, but at the time I was working from home, and I also didn't have a car, so I was home for 24 hours a day, and when my husband left for work, I was left home alone, and I honestly didn't know anybody down here, and I just felt so isolated, so I was alone with my thoughts for most of the day, and you know trying to keep suppressing them, they just kept getting worse, and. Um, I ended up actually going to um, the ER about eight months prior to that, not for those reasons, but because I had a severe headache. Uh, It was so bad to the point where I couldn't even write down my phone number or my name 
in the correct order it was supposed to be in. Um, so I went to the ER and I was talking to um, the nurse there and he was trying to figure out what was wrong. They even did a scan on my brain because they thought I was having like a brain aneurysm. Um, but they didn't find anything. And so he just sat me down and said, you know, um, we didn't see anything on the scan, but that doesn't mean that you aren't having issues with headaches and migraines possibly. So do you mind telling me what's going on? Um, you know, like significant key points that are happening in your life right now that might give me an idea of where we can work from. And so I told him and he said, wow, you are under a lot of stress. And that was the first time anybody had acknowledged that to me. And I was like, oh, I guess I am, you know, I, I just refused to deal with it. And so he, you know, he told me that I needed to, you know, probably do a little bit more stress managing and things like that. And I had actually tried to see a therapist because I knew I needed to, but I got put on a six month waiting list. Um, and uh, I wasn't able to get in anywhere because I wasn't deemed severe enough to be seen by anybody um, immediately. And then after about maybe two months of calling around, um, I kind of gave up. And I actually did see one therapist, but it was it was a horrible experience. Um, I had I actually told this therapist everything that was going on, and I looked up to see him slurping on a gas station cup, oh drinking gosh. a soda. And it was so unprofessional. And as I was leaving, um, I was signing my paperwork to leave, and he was at the front desk massaging both of the front desk girls' shoulders and making very inappropriate comments. To them. What? Yeah, and I hightailed out of there and never went back. Oh my gosh! Um, Wait, did, checked... please, did you report him? I I didn't. I was too scared to. Yeah, I get but, it. <laughs> um, I should have looked at the reviews online. He had horrible reviews, so I should have known. But I was so desperate to see anybody at that point. Um, but yeah, I. I, I never went back there again. So after that, I was just kind of scared to reach out. Didn't didn't really have any ambition to keep moving forward with looking for a therapist. And so that December, when everything just kind of fell apart, it pushed me into having to seeking that help. Um, but that's honestly what brought me to that point of hospitalization was just so much unmanaged trauma. So was there, um, was there like one thing that you prompted you to just say, I like, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. Or was it kind of just a combination of all of these various stressors in your life? It was a combination. Okay. Um, up until that point, um, the day that I was hospitalized, I had so much going on through the holidays to keep my mind busy that I didn't have time to kind of sit down and think. And granted, there were so many passing suicidal thoughts that were still happening in the midst of all this stuff, but I knew that I needed to be somewhere. Um, we were actually doing a fundraiser for Hurricane Harvey at the time. And so my husband and I were going to go back to, um, uh, it's actually Aransas Pass, Texas. It's where my husband uh, grew up in high school. Um, and one of the churches that we were very close with over there, because we used to live there at one point, um, had been severely affected. Um, so a lot of the people there, they had lost their homes and things. Um, so we went back, we did a fundraiser, and we um, 
brought Christmas gifts to the kids um, because there were so many people living out of motels who had lost their homes. And so there was so much to organize and so much to put together. I knew I had to be there for that. And I I knew if I was going to have any type of formulated plan, I couldn't do anything until after that was over. So I kind of put those thoughts on hold, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so after I came back from that, I basically got to a point where I thought there's no reason left. And so that's when I was finally like, okay, uh, either I do something about this or it's going to take over me. Well, I'm so glad that, I mean, even if it got to a place where it took over, that you were able to get the support that, you know, you needed for it to subside enough to keep going. Um, Sometimes I think that that's just kind of what life is sometimes, that that there's moments where it's great, and then there's moments where you're just, like, just barely staying alive, but going through all of the motions. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I, I just, like, feel so much, I don't know, connection when people are willing to talk about the moments that they felt like they couldn't keep on going because I know that it's happening to everybody. Um, oh, yeah. But people just don't feel like they can talk about it or they don't know what it means to talk about it. Um, so, and that actually, thank and you. That break, yeah, absolutely. It's just, it breaks my heart, honestly, because, like, I, I know because I was there, you know, there's so many people that want to fix you or want to and I'm sure they mean well but you know they'll they'll try to tell you how to fix your problems but at the end of the day you're the only person who can make those decisions you know you're the only person who can say I agree to go to therapy you know you're the only person who can say you know this problem or the situation is so much bigger than me right now. And I admit I need help. And that's hard because I think we're told as a society that we have to keep it together all the time, like all the time. And how many people do you know that go to work who are CEOs of a company who openly admit I'm on medication for depression? No. I've never, I've never heard of anybody, but mm-hmm. I know they're there. Mm-hmm. You know, how many people do you hear that are, you know, say teachers who are like, I have ADHD medication because I severely struggle with ADHD, you know, and and sometimes that consumes me and I I get so embarrassed to talk about it because, you know, I'm trying to teach a class and I'm trying to help my kids focus, but here I am struggling or, you know, maybe you're a a delivery nurse, you know, or, or nurse in general. And you're like, I'm constantly struggling with flashbacks of sexual abuse and here I am trying to help people deliver children and talk about fertility. And I have all these traumas, you know, a lot of times people have things that they're carrying that they're so afraid to talk about. But, you know, to anybody listening right now, um, I've said this before is even if you just write it down on a a pad of paper or put it on a, a voice memo on your phone, don't hold on to that. Don't hold on to that pain, to that struggle. Um, There are people that do care, um, whether it's a therapist and uh, 
there are so many therapists that are much better than the crazy guy I went to. For real. Yeah, I actually see an amazing therapist now, and she is phenomenal. Um, But there are great therapists out there. There there are people like Sarah that care and have these types of podcasts, so you can have a safe place to listen and, and talk about things that you may be going through. So, you know, whatever you're dealing with, whether it's a, a mental mental health or, you know, um, something you're going through currently even, you know, don't ever be afraid to, to let that out, whether it's in a way that's private, writing it down, talking about it to your phone even, which, conspiracy, your phones are listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least that's what they say. I don't know. We were actually talking but, about that at work today. Oh, really? Yeah. It's your phone. But yes, there are so many people that care about you, you know, and that actually mean it. And when you find those people and, you know, they're safe people and they're all ears and they want to listen and you have the opportunity, you know, it may be in bits and pieces, you know, it might be a little bit of your story and that's okay. But you deserve to be free from whatever is holding you back in the past. Yeah. Man, I, yeah, so much yeah to that. I think the only thing that really connects everybody, regardless of background, race, gender identity, socioeconomic status, political status, education, the only thing that connects all of us is that we all have feelings and we all need them to be validated. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's for sure. So... And I know you, you know, you talked about the waves and that recovery or um, healing isn't linear, but what are you doing right now that helps you kind of stay on that coping or, you know, making it or some days freaking excelling? Like, what are you doing to, to stay there? We are getting all the help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're doing. Um, currently... Um, still in a, um, in therapy. Um, I no longer go on a biweekly basis. I used to be, um, after I was, you know, released from the hospital, um, it was a weekly slash biweekly basis because it was that severe. Um, right now it's like a, every other month as needed. I actually have an appointment coming up here in a few weeks. Um, so there's that. Um, I also do take medication. Um, I recently got off of Prozac, so I'm switching to a different one right now. We're seeing how it goes. Um, you know, I also do a lot of meditation, whether it's meditating to help me fall asleep um, or meditating when I feel overwhelmed or need some clarity. I use the Headspace and the Calm apps. Mm-hmm. Those are amazing. Yeah, um, so those I do that. are amazing. I'll put a link for everyone in the show Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And they have free sessions, too, so it's great. Um, so I do that. I do CBD. Um, that helps me with my anxiety because I used to be on anxiety meds, too, and um, I was having some issues with it just because I don't know if it was the dosage or whatnot. And when I was going through the the high heightened point of all the kind of like bringing all the trauma to the surface type stuff, um, it really helped me. I was on hydroxyzine. Um, but as I was kind of coming down from a lot of the trauma, it was 
it was actually interfering with work where I was falling asleep during the day mm-hmm. um, because I was so calm. <laughs> um, so I actually had to get off of that um, because my anxiety wasn't as bad. So that's a, that's a good thing. Um, so I switched over to taking CBD every day. So I either do uh, gummies. Um, I do have a vape pen. Um, so I actually carry that in my car because sometimes I'll have a panic attack while I'm driving or I feel like I have one coming on and it helps me to calm down in an instant. Um, so that does help me. So I do that. Um, I also have a mentor through my church um, who's been through a lot of the similar situations I've been through. She's just much older. Um, so she's given me a lot of insight and advice, um, whether it comes to, you know, having negative thoughts, um, trying to have, you know, more positive outlooks on life. And, um, I'm not saying that, you know, what happened was positive, obviously that's, that's never going to be the case, but kind of like looking at my here and now, what I want to do as an adult, what, what do I want to do moving forward? Like trying to look at those things in a more positive way. She's really helped me navigate through that. Um, and then honestly, giving back to people has really helped too. Um, just being able to talk to other people who are struggling, you know, and, and kind of having that community and people have no idea. I had a friend the other day who was talking to me and she's like, your story helps me so much, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, I can't believe, you know, that you're, you're where you are. I'm thinking, where, where, where am I exactly? Yeah. Um, and she was like, you know, I, I'm just so thankful for you. And I, here I am thinking, you have no idea how grateful for you I am for sharing with me your story because it's people like you who help me keep going forward. And I think, you know, people don't realize there's so much power in community and whether it's day one of therapy or day 1000, you still need that because we're, we all need people to kind of like have our back and to, to let us lean on their shoulders every now and then. Um, and I have a song stuck in my head now. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> but, <fun>. um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we all need a support system and a support group. So that's really helped me. Um, I'm, uh, I'm actually going to an actual support group now. I just started going a few weeks ago. It's called Celebrate Recovery. Um, and it's, it's actually a nationwide thing. I think it started in California. It's kind of like AA. Um, same type of idea. We go through this 12 steps and things like that. Um, but they also deal with traumatic events. Um, and their slogan is dealing with, uh, what is it? Hurts, habits, and hangups, I think is the slogan. So it's not one specific thing. Um, but I started going to that and that's really helped me. So yeah, literally it is all the, it is all the helps we can get. (laughs) No, that is the exact definition of skill stacking, right? I mean, yeah, yeah I think that that, that wraparound, that holistic approach is the only way that you can really get ahead of this stuff, right? I mean, you can yeah. keep coping, but to get, to get a mile ahead so that you can say, okay, wait, I'm feeling it coming back on. What can I build in? So that you don't have to go back to the hospital again and you don't have to like greatly disrupt your life. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that because there's not, but that does take a lot of time and energy and have a big impact on relationships and money and all of those things. So yeah. to get well, ahead thankfully, of it. 
Yeah, well, thankfully, a lot of the resources that I do have access to do not cost me anything, Um, whether it's the recovery group or, you know, the support for my church. My, um, this is incredible, the church I go to now actually has licensed therapists on staff. Awesome. Um, Yeah, and then my work actually paid for um, my first part of my therapy sessions that I did, so that was really helpful. I did the employee assistance program, the EAP program. So that was really helpful to me because it, it can get expensive. Um, and then, of course, the, the Headspace and Calm apps are free. So, you know, I, I know not everybody has access to health care, um, so that is tough. But, you know, there are there are some resources out there. Um, if, if you can find a Celebrate Recovery, I highly recommend that. Um, you know, if you're needing, like, a support group or even, like, um, locally, there's there's so many other support groups out there, um, for specific needs, whether it's, you know, um, uh, you have like a military background or anything like that. There's a lot of vet support groups and things like that. Um, so yeah, I would, I would take a look at it. There's, there's even Facebook groups out there. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're not comfortable with like talking to somebody in person just yet, but there are private Facebook groups out there that are specifically for, um, you know, accountability or, you know, helping people move forward with difficult times and things like that. So there are so many amazing resources out there. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned that um, there are free resources for people. And actually, that's one of the things If anyone's listening and they're having a hard time. um, I'd love to like put that back out to the community or even do some research myself. Um, and kind of what free resources are available, like where you live or what whatever city is closest to you. Um, I'd be happy to do some of that work because it is, I mean, I feel really grateful that I can afford my, my therapy and my medications, um, because it's like a lot of money. So, um, yeah. you know, it, 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 I'm just, I feel blessed and grateful that I'm at a place where I can do that, but I understand that, you know, not everyone can, And so that's one of the things that I'd really like to kind of be able to give more to. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. My friend. Wow. I am, I just want to talk to you forever. Um, I would really love if we could tackle some other kind of, um, topics you brought up. Um, so maybe we can kind of keep this going into a series here soon, but how would you feel, about um, heading to our end of the podcast questions. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay. So um, tell me one thing that you're really looking forward to right now, because that is one of the things that people always tell me um, that keeps them alive is they're like, I've got a family reunion or I, you know, like my favorite TV show is coming on next. Like, so what, what's one thing you're really looking forward to? Oh man. Um, there's one that's kind of like a big, big deal. And then there's one that you're going to be like, really? Oh, tell me. <laughs> I want both of them. Okay. One of them is my husband is going to be coming home soon from this appointment. <gasps> yes. I'm so oh. excited. Where is he currently? He is somewhere out in the sand. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere out there. I actually don't know yeah. exactly where he is. But um, I cannot wait for him to come home. Um, so that's like the really, really big one. Yeah, that you're gonna need yeah. to like film this. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, 
Like you're making signs and posters. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna so be that crazy excited. person in the airport, like waving my arms. <laughs> no, I would. I would be doing the exact same thing. So that I'm so <laughs> excited for you. Thank you. So yeah, that's the really, really big thing going on. The second one is Halloween. Oh, right. I love Halloween, man. That's that's okay. holiday ever. Yeah. I love Halloween more than I love Christmas. More than I love Thanksgiving, more than probably more than I even love my own birthday. Like that's how much I love Halloween. It's just it's just such a cool holiday, and I wasn't allowed to celebrate it growing up, so it's kind of like a yeah. Anyways, but I'm just I love it. I'm so excited. What What are you going to be for Halloween this year? That's a great question. I have a couple of thoughts in mind. Last year, I was Batgirl. And we did a trunk or treat event. And so my husband was Nightwing. I was Batgirl. I kind of want to be a Friends character this year. Ooh. But I don't know. Like, I kind of I kind of do. I don't want to be, like, anything generic because I know that everybody's going to be, like, Captain Marvel or something. Yeah. So I don't want to do that. Um, I have been a banana before. Oh, my gosh. Stop. <laughs> yes. I love that. <laughs> I have been a banana. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll okay. see. I, I, I did think about a couple of Friends references that I could be. I thought about being Ross Geller's sandwich. Oh, my gosh. That would from be the, From the episode where he's like, my sandwich. Uh-huh. I thought about that. Um, and then I've also thought about the one where he's the holiday armadillo. Oh, my gosh. I lo- I've like, seen every episode of Friends. <laughs> Maybe I should be one of those, but we'll see. We'll see what what comes up. So. Um, my wife and I are going to be a gumball machine in a quarter. <gasps> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So she like I need to make her like a giant like quarter costume to wear, and then I'm gluing like like a bunch of like pom poms on. Oh, you're making it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, what? I'm doing it. <laughs> you guys are so creative. Like... <laughs> Are you looking on, like, Pinterest and stuff for, like, inspiration? Because that's what I do. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm all over Pinterest. Yeah. 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 Pinterest is the best. <laughs> oh, it's like when you can't sleep in the middle of the night? Yeah. yeah. That's... <laughs> okay. This is very bad advice, but actually, I, I do that. Uh, also, YouTube. Oh. I go YouTube rabbit holes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. 1 a.m. There I am. Hello, insomnia. Oh, <laughs> No, I I have like I don't know why I because I'm in my mid tw- mid to late twenties I don't know why I know about like teenage beauty bloggers. I know, right? I was talking with somebody the other day, and um, I was at the beach with one of my friends' family, and um, the mother actually works with me, and so she's closer to my age, and so we're just talking about stuff. And I was like, do you guys watch shows on Netflix? We're talking about, like, our favorite shows. And I was like, yeah, I watch YouTube a lot. And her 12-year-old son is telling me about all the um, the makeup artists he watches. I'm like, I know who they are. And I'm mm-hmm. like, wait a minute. Should I even know who these people are? Yeah. I'm like, like okay, there's a, there's a few that are, like, globally known. Like, Jeffree Star. Everybody yeah. knows Jeffree Star, right? Mm-hmm. But there's, like, makeup artists, like, I don't know, um... James Charles, well, mm-hmm. I guess he's, yeah, he's, he's kind of global, um, but, like, the DMAR twins, and, mm-hmm. like, a couple other people who are, like, you know, that aren't that famous, but somehow, their makeup tutorials are just 
so intriguing. And I don't know how to do makeup anyway, but um, yeah. I'm actually following this gal on Instagram, which I can't remember her name right now, but um, she has a disability, which is, you know, irrelevant. Um, but she, so she has some pretty like significant physical limitations. She okay. has this huge following of people because she's a professional makeup artist. What? Um, and she's just, her makeup skills are like incredible. So I might have to include that in the show That's notes, awesome. but Okay, we oh. we have tangented. Oh. Is that a word? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's not your fault. It's mine. Um, okay, so your husband's coming home and you're looking forward to Halloween. Yes. Tell me <laughs> one thing that you really want people to know about mental health. Ooh, that probably 100% of people are struggling with it. And the ones that say they aren't don't know they are. Yeah. It's, it's an everybody thing. We all struggle in our own ways, and it's totally okay. Yep, it's totally okay. Okay, my friend, give us one reason to stay alive today. One reason to stay alive. Uh, if you have any stars near you, or if it's nighttime, um, my brother actually told me this one time, and he said, go outside and look up. You see all of those beautiful stars all of those are reasons why you should stay. And that's why. The world is too beautiful and life is too... I know it's crazy. I know that it's got its ups and downs and I know it probably sucks right now if you're listening to this and you're going through some things that you never ever wanted to even think about going through. And, and truthfully, you know, you might feel like it's the end. But I promise you, tomorrow the stars will be out, the next day the stars will be out, and the next day the stars will be out. And even though your life may not feel consistent right now, one day you're going to look up and think, oh, I'm glad I stayed. So, you know, keep keep pushing on, keep fighting. Um, your reason um, may not be as bright right now, but I promise you, you'll see it. Um, if somebody told me, okay, that's super cheesy. If somebody told me that like two years ago, I probably would have laughed at them. And so you're probably laughing at me too. No. But I'm glad, but I'm glad I made you laugh. No. <laughs> I mean, if anyone's thinking what I'm thinking, I'm just smiling because, you know, I remember and and now I'm here and I'm so grateful that I am. And you're so grateful that you are. And there's going to yeah. be other people that can resonate with that. So yeah, it's not definitely. cheesy. Thanks. I, I'm actually, I'm sorry, guys. I'm actually a cheesy person by nature. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I I know that in all seriousness, though, like, if you are going through something and, you know, all this is just so heavy and even, even maybe listening to this podcast might have been hard, um, I just want to let you know that there are so many people that care about you and truly mean it. Um, Sarah and I are both two of those people that do care about you and um if you if you live in the U.S. and you feel like you need to reach out to somebody like this second and you need somebody to help you right now um, I want you to save this number in your phone it's 741-741 it's the number to the crisis text line um I actually used it a couple weeks ago 
and I was feeling super low, texted them. Somebody responded within 10 minutes and helped me walking through um, a couple of meditation exercises where I was able to kind of ground myself because I was having a kind of disassociative moment where I didn't feel like it was there and present. Um, but I want you to save that number in your phone. And if you feel like you need to talk to somebody and you're just not ready to, you know, verbally discuss anything or, um, you know, tell a friend or anything like that, it's a completely confidential number. Um, and all you have to do is say, hey, and somebody will respond to you. So go ahead and save that number in your phone. Again, it's 741741. Um, and if you feel like you need to reach out for help, whether it's for an, an a past situation, a current situation, whatever it is, um, you know, don't be afraid to reach out for help. Joy, thank you so much for Absolutely. the vulnerability you have in, you know, sharing your story and, and connecting with me because it, it matters and it's going to connect with other people. Thank you for offering resources and, and strategies and tools and, you know, just thanks for waking up. And of course, thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, well, thanks for having me. This, this means so much. I really appreciate it. Okay, guys. So Joyce going to give us all of her information. I will include that in the show notes. That includes her website where you can find her on social media and follow her story. And as it continues, um, and as always, please comment, subscribe, rate, whatever you need to do. Um, but just keep living. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye.